But what is the um, source of this? Wikipedia. There's no source. Right, and Handel he was used it a lot. Like reused the material yeah. of it. Yeah. Of what? Of the music. Of top of music. <laughs> like like Queen of Sheba, like the rhyme of the Queen of Sheba. It's yeah. Like a, it's okay. Like a chair for three violins. Ah, okay. So I'm gonna start. Okay. Right. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to our podcast dedicated to sight reading through the lens of the historically informed performance practice. My name is Darina Vlogina. And I'm Sebastian Mitra. And today we are back to our title. So we are going to sight read some music and we have a guest. Could you please introduce yourself? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Ivan Podyomov and I'm the oboe player. I uh, play both modern and historical oboes. And I live in Amsterdam and work in the contemporary modern orchestra, not contemporary, but modern orchestra. And sometimes I like to play also Baroque oboe. And you teach also, right? In Lucerne. Yes, I do teach in, in Lucerne in the at the Hochschule für Musik in Lucerne. And in which orchestra do you play in Amsterdam? I play in the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra uh, since six years. Cool, it's really nice to have you. And um, could you tell us more, how do you come to uh, historical instruments and how did you start playing historical oboe? Uh, there was always a big love for the old music, for Baroque and classical music. And recently, uh, relatively recently, I, I decided, okay, why not to learn it actually? Uh, Why, why not to learn the historical instruments to to be able to play more this music and uh, to play it more sort of uh, historically informed also. I, I was always playing this music as much as possible when, whenever I had uh, recitals on the modern oboe or uh, just simply because it's a fantastic music. You can also play it sort of historically informed on the modern oboe but there was always missing something and also the musicians you were playing i, I was playing with uh, were maybe less uh, into this uh, music and i was uh, at some point i decided okay let's go for for the real thing and let's let's learn the oboe but so what was missing in the sound of the modern oboe for the baroque music actually by uh, by that time when i didn't practice uh, Baroque oboe, I was believing that actually it, this music is just a great music and what is necessary is uh, is just to actually perform it right, to phrase it well, to articulate, to, to make the ornaments as it, it should be, to know a little bit about the styles and traditions and just to, to play it right. But, you know, little by little I started to notice that I was searching some kind of relaxed way, relaxed sound and relaxed way of phrasing the the depth in the sound but somehow the modern instruments are still a little bit built in a way that they have uh, extreme projection built for the huge concert halls and some things were, were a little bit difficult but of course modern oboe technically is much more 
uh, advanced and uh, technically m many things are much easier, ornaments and um, passages and also for the intonation it's much more in tune. But somehow there is, uh, later on when I started to practice uh, Baroque oboe, then I noticed there is, it's also missing, uh, modern oboe is missing kind of charm. But sometimes now and then I still play on the modern novel some old music and I think at some point you just forget which instrument you play and you try to make music itself. Also at the times of these composers, uh, it was very often that the composers did not give the clear indication which instrument should uh, play the melody part, it's just some high instrument. and I always uh, try to imagine like what would have been if the composers would have the modern oboe at that times what what would they have said they would for sure like it and they would have for sure used it I, in my opinion so that's why I, I, I load it to myself but of course now I um, think that uh, playing historical instruments that then that after I started playing historical instruments I I must say there is a certain qualities of the sound which you cannot achieve with modern oboe and for uh, the most important is that it is um, a little bit more broad and sound and not so uh, projecting but at the same time very deep and dark somehow and you don't make the effort uh, to achieve this kind of sound because it's in the nature of instrument and uh, having this as the base um, basic element when when you start to make music already affects your interpretation also a lot um do you find that your baroque oboe playing has influenced your modern oboe playing but also for later music like romantic music and, you know, Kinserchebau is very famous for Mahler and all these things. Do you find that it has changed the way you look at later music as well? For sure, for sure, definitely. And especially in terms of, of the sound imagination and expression itself also. I noticed that after playing Barokobo, I kind of started to search this warmth and volume of the uh, barocco and the, this kind of relaxed quality of, of sound when you hear it at some instrument when you experience it already you search for it and you may actually find it and i think i i play kind of with, with the sound i like more now than it was five six years ago also for the expression uh, for the phrasing, I think I started to use much less kind of pushing way of, of phrasing and just more um, sort of to play with big, big, uh, bigger volumes of air probably in general. Because the Baroque oboe in, comp in comparison to modern oboe uh, accepts much more air the, because the bore is much wider than, than the bore of the modern oboe.
last years I play quite a lot in with the Netherlands Bach Society, Bach Vereniging, which is based in in Netherlands, and it's uh, like dedicated to Bach mostly. Yes. But we play also some different music there. Cool. Also. But so, and you never studied Baroque oboe. No, never studied. That's and, fantastic. And actually, even never had had lessons. Oh, really? Yes. So you're completely self-taught? No, I would not say uh, that because uh, nowadays we have a lot of um, exchange. Of course, I have a lot of friends who play Barokobo. And of course, I was starting to be curious since already many years ago. I have got the instrument. Uh, I have had exchanges with some friends who quickly introduced me into read making because this is uh read making is a, so essential part of oboe playing is like practicing <laughs> so and uh of course i started to try already since long time ago actually and uh, little by little at the point i dis uh, when i decided okay now i must really dive into it and i must start practicing of course i kept uh having those exchanges and sometimes I called some somebody I called Marcel Poncel the uh, amazing uh, legendary oboe player from Belgium and uh, he gave me very precious advices on the on the reads uh, how how to make the reads in a way uh, to to make it work also kept asking quick questions to, to my friends, to Rodrigo Lopez Paz, the colleague from Bach Vereniging. And uh, he gave me also a couple of quick, precious advices. And Magdalena Karolak, uh, the friend from from my studies in, in Geneva with Maurice Burke. And from every little side, I got some some information and somehow If you already are educated musicians, a musician somehow, experienced musician somehow, you can already just, it's enough the information for you just to start practicing. And But I think it needs, uh, it requires a certain flexibility and this openness towards this information that is in front of you because not everybody is so flexible and like among classical musicians they say oh but why you take this old instrument the intonation is not that great the mechanic doesn't work so well so it's really like one has to be really curious about mm -hmm. how it could have sounded back then right <laughs> Thank you. 
But maybe it's also because I'm I'm the oboist and already at the modern oboe the intonation is really not so great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and already to to play in tune on the modern oboe is a, is a huge e- effort. So in terms of uh, these kind of technical challenges, I actually don't see it um, uh, so so much difference for uh, like modern oboe is just another oboe of oboe family, but is it is not uh, actually much more perfect than than the baroque oboe. It simplifies some uh, note connections for for the quick passages, but actually for the for the intonation or for exp- expression, I think is actually not much easier instrument. I was, you were also taking harpsichord lessons at one point, or am I wrong? Yes, you're right. I don't know how you know about this. <laughs> well, no, because my, I remember my teacher, Menno, yes. was telling me that, you know, he had the student and et cetera. And then that's when I was leaving. And I think that was you then, or am I wrong? Well, did you take lessons with Menno van Delft? I, I didn't take lessons with, with Menno, but uh, I uh, played the entrance exam to the Amsterdam right. Concert. Right, yes, 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 that's what they were. But I, I was taking lessons with my friend Olga Pashinko. The friend oh, from, yes, from yes. My our friend. Hello, Olga, if you're listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, it started just by accident somehow, because I have instrument... At my place, I have uh, I have the harpsichord. I was at some point when I lived still in Germany, I was looking for the harpsichord for some project, and actually in Lucerne, and they offered me the instrument to, for the rehearsal, and I had I had to pay a very high amount for just to be able to rehearse, and then I was like. Okay, if it's going to be like this all, all the time in my life, maybe I should search for, for the harpsichord myself, just maybe in case if, if something happens that I can quickly rehearse. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and somehow I realized that they are not so expensive, uh, second-hand harpsichords in Germany. And just I saw one in, interesting instrument. I jumped on my car. I went to look at it. And actually, it was a ve- it had a very beautiful um, sound. Somehow, I liked it, and I just loaded it into the car <laughs> and I brought it home. It was a bargain instrument, and since then, it was standing at home and looking very tempting. And I just started to play a little bit as I could after being, you know, uh, educated in the Moscow Gnesin school. Where right. we all have the um, for the piano as a second instrument. Yeah, yes. But I had a pretty uh, intense uh, se- secondary instrument piano because I had a fantastic uh, teacher. Somehow I was always motivated about about piano, but at some point I just stopped playing it. And then after the harpsichord arrived to my place, then I started to play for curiosity, and then we. I met Olga in Amsterdam and we had a nice chat. I told her a little bit about the instrument and I said, well, maybe I, I would like once to to study a little bit, to study continuo and just to, to learn something for myself. And she said, come over and play for me. And I came and somehow she said, oh, do you want to come back? And we started to practice regularly. And then I was like, okay, let's let's maybe 
make the entrance exam to the conservatory. Yeah, but to be honest, I didn't have much time after that actually to really follow seriously the studies. But it was very useful for me just to get acquainted more with the, with the music. So you finished uh, conservatory as a harpsichord player No, I did not finish. I didn't finish. That's the story. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So maybe we are going back to our today's activity. And uh, Sebastian already read everything about the piece that we are going to play I today. I know everything. <laughs> yes, and you just in general know everything. <laughs> so uh, the piece... Until Sven, until Sven corrects me. Y- yes. <laughs> Hello, Sven, if you're listening to us. <laughs> so uh, um, today we are playing um, a sonata, a trio sonata from... A collection that is called Tafelmusik and was published in 1733. So uh, what do you know about this collection, Sebastian? I know that it was a subscription-based uh, publication that uh, Telemann would publish. I, I don't know how many, once a, I don't know, once every week or once every month. I have no idea. And there were subscribers. And quite a, in London, also in Paris. And I think he was publishing this in Hamburg. Um, Or am I mistaken? Probably, I don't know. Possibly Hamburg. And, uh, and well, basically, I mean, it's a collection of chamber music that encompasses, that has really um, works for like all combinations of instruments and very weird combinations, like four violins without bass. Or now we have, well, what else is there actually? Three violins and bass or... Horn, yes, overtures, and then also this quartet that we played with Anat and Amir. True, with two traversi and recorder, and recorder, or a bassoon is also right. possible. So it's this flexible sort of very flexible. You buy the collection, you can, can play, play it on different home. things, you play right. at home. Yes, the tafel refers to the table, yeah, but also refers to this Renaissance idea of a uh, consort yeah. music making yes. where people were sitting around the table exactly. and yeah. reading from the part books after dinner, maybe just yes, to hang again, out, food know. and music. Yeah. What can be better, anyways? And uh, also, we read that Handel was kind of stealing a little bit yeah. from this collection. Yeah. And um, apparently there are 18 different citations from this collection that Handel used in his works. Right. I mean, a famous one is the, well, the arrival of the Queen of Sheba. This, well, it's an oboe excerpt, really, no? No, it's not. Is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, I don't know, whatever. Um, is also from, uh, is taken, the... Partly from Tafel Music. Um, yes, and also um, among the subscribers, there were people like Michel Blavé, who was a flute player, and also Quance. Makes so, sense. Yeah, makes sense. Totally. And today we are going to play a sonata for traverso, oboe, and basso continuo in E minor, mm-hmm. with a very sweet uh, middle part that is in E major. Wow. Yeah.
Have you ever played this piece? I never played this piece, and I think I even never heard this piece. Me neither, actually. So it will be a real side reading. Uh, I think I played this piece many, many years ago in Moscow for one project. I, yeah, I think it was with Philippe. With who is Philippe? Philippe Nadel. It's uh, it's a teacher from Moscow Conservatory, and he ah. teaches Baroque oboe. Ah, yeah. It's one of the pioneers of uh, actually the pioneer of Baroque oboe in Russia. Yes. Yes, the really? person who started to play and to teach the, this instrument the first in Russia, maybe around 20 years ago. Yes, yeah. already, because the, the faculty of um, um, contemporary and early music exists for already 20 years. I think they had their mm -hmm. more. Yeah, years. maybe even more. Yeah, they had their jubileum kind of. Ah, yes. Very nice. Yes, um, great. So this sonata has four movements and it's really nice because it's not really a tempo indication but just kind of a mood, affettuoso, allegro, then wow. dolce, the Vines. sweet one, in E major, let's see, and vivace. Thank you. 
It looks very Telemanni. Yes. So, what do you have? You have some kind of a prejudice about Telemann. Tell us more. I don't about have it. a prejudice about Telemann. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not a big fan. And But why is that so? That's not. It's. I feel like you know. You every time you say that, someone says. Oh, but he wrote so much, and so you know, not everything can be great. Well, I just—it's not—it's just not a style that I'm necessarily for. And sometimes when people bring me a Telemann piece, I go, mm. so "That's it. It's just my personal feeling." Yeah, I, I don't I know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I think he was commercially very successful, and that's why maybe it was one of the sources of his motivation to go on, you know, mm. uh, with composing. But yeah, that's true that not all the pieces are. Well, um, and I don't expect anyone's every every piece to be but great. The but. other day we we were actually talking about art and content, mm. and like I think in this case, like sometimes it can be a combination of both. Yes. Which which is actually which is, successful. It worked well, that's out the very ideal, well. No? <laughs> to have both art and content. Yes. I feel like Telemann has a lot of art, but sometimes the content is not always there for it's me. Kind of, uh, overtaking. Yes. But yeah, the art is definitely there. He he masters composition very well, I think. Yes. Um, I don't know. Do you see anything from the score? Because we need to play very soon. We gotta play. Yeah. We have um, to steal the room, actually. We have to we, before yes, someone else does, yes. actually. So, uh, I just, yeah. I see this and I, if you didn't show me the, the, who wrote it, I would know because the baseline is like Telemann, yes. very Telemann. Yes. So, you know. Maybe we can record also the outro, like just to say like, thank you very much, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. Or if you have final words, if you would like to say something. <laughs> final words. Yes. <laughs> What are your final words? <laughs> Bless you, everybody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you very much. Thank you for being here. It was great. Thank you. Thank you, my friends. As a side ring, I think it's a nice experience. We should do more things like this. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Especially all together, I think. Yes. It's a lost art. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Thank you and see you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>